Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Whoever commits sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is trans- transgression of the law. And ye know that was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let, mo- let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're so grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, we do want to extend to you an invitation to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful for the beauty of today, the opportunity that is ours to be together, to enjoy a period of fellowship, and to raise our voices in worship to God. We're going to be looking in just a moment at 1 John chapter 3, and we want to focus our minds for just a few moments on verses 3 through 10 as we contemplate the theme, the Christian's relationship to sin. I want to begin this lesson by stating that as a child of God, we should live a confident life in Christ Jesus. It is true that once we become a Christian, that there are some things that we must sever ourselves from, one of which would be a life of sin. But nonetheless, as members of the human family, we realize that sometimes we stumble and fall. But there is a sense in which, as a child of God, we should live with great boldness or confidence. And so I want us to think for a moment or two about what John has recorded in this great book. The first thing that I call your attention to is the definition of sin. Now John simply states for us a working definition of sin. In verse 4 he said, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. The old King James Version says that sin is the transgression of the law. The term sin denotes a missing of the mark. And so, as we think about the definition of sin provided for us by John, let me just make this statement. The scope of sin embraces the entirety of the human family. In 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 46, Solomon said that there is no one who does not sin. If you turn over to the book of Romans in chapter 1, Paul writes and points out definitively that the Gentile world, that they are under sin. In chapter 2, he says that the Jewish world, they too, are under sin. His conclusion in chapter 3 is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in verse 23. In some preceding verses in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, he said there is none righteous, no, not one. And then over in chapter 5 at verse 12, Paul points out that all have sinned. And he reminds us that death entered the world through the sin, the transgression of Adam. 
And so, when we talk about sin, we're talking about something that impacts the lives of all of us. None of us are immune to sin. But then in the second place, we think about the deliverance that we enjoy from sin. Now, as we think about the deliverance that is spoken of by John, I would remind you that this has been made possible by the Savior. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 5. In verse 5 and following, we come face to face with the manifestation and mission of the Savior. In verse 5, he said, And you know that he, that is Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. The first thing that we need to understand is that we're talking about the sinless Son of the living God. In John chapter 1 at verse 29, John the baptizer, upon seeing Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was that spotless Lamb that gave his life for our sins. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Jesus Christ did no sin. He said, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. But rather, Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Now John said, Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. How grateful we should be that Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross to suffer on our behalf. Sometimes we talk about the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus. In other words, Jesus literally became our substitute. He stood in our place. We were condemned to die. The penalty imposed by sin is death. And yet Jesus intervened or stepped in our place and thus willingly died to comply with the will of the Heavenly Father. Now also note, if you would, verse 8, as we think about the manifestation and mission of the Savior. In verse 8, John said, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil has left a great wake in his path. You go back to the Garden of Eden, you think about the transgression of Adam and Eve. The first instance that we read about in the Bible regarding the devil and the human family is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And Moses said that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. God had said, you're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. And yet when... The serpent had his conversation with Mother Eve. 
He said, you will not surely die. He lied to her. And as a result of that, as a result of that conversation and her yielding to temptation, sin entered the world. And so Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The devil is the culprit when it comes to sin. The devil walks about, as Peter said, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants to circumvent our faith. He wants to do everything that he can to destroy and maim our relationship with God the Father. But we can take heart in knowing that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 2 verse 14 that Jesus came to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. You just stop and think about all of the heartache and sorrow that has been imposed upon the human family since Genesis chapter 3. Who's responsible for the heartache and the sorrow and the hurt and the death that the human family has experienced? Well, Satan is. Now, granted, those of us who are members of the human family, we make choices in life, but unfortunately, we make the wrong choices in many instances. And so, as the Bible says, none of us can make the claim that we are sinlessly perfect. That's why we need a Savior, that's why we need the Lord. And so he is the one who delivers us from sin. But there is a third thing that we see in our text. And this has to do with the death of sin. Now we talk about our relationship to sin. As a child of God, what is my relationship to sin? Well, let's just note for a moment or two what is said in our text. As we look to 1 John chapter Let me call your attention to verse 9, first of all. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. Now, Jesus said that the seed is the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11. So we think about the death of sin. When we obey the gospel, we become, as John said, the children of God in verse 10. We are no longer the children of the devil, but rather we belong to God. Well, how do we become children of God? Well, John said, whoever has been born of God. We're talking about that new birth. Do you remember back in John chapter 3 when Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do the signs which you're doing unless God is with him. And Jesus said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so he asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus missed the point. Jesus wasn't talking about a physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. And so he said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, marvel not, you must be born again. Why do you need to be born again? So that you can become a child of God. So that you can enjoy this relationship that we read about in the Bible with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. So when we obey the gospel, we become God's people. Well, having said that, let's just note what John has to say here. Let's think for a moment about our relationship to the Lord once we become a child of God. As members of the human family, as mankind, as those of us who have been born again, what is our relationship? Well, let's look at, let's look at verse 4, or I'm sorry, verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now drop down to verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. What is John saying here? Well, there is a sense in which when we obey the gospel, we are converted to God, and then we are consecrated to God. That is, we consecrate our lives to Jehovah God. Think for a moment about the word sanctification. It means to be set apart. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 1, he wrote to the church of God, And he wrote to those who had been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The word sanctified means to be set apart. We're set apart from the world unto God. We belong to God. All right, we belong to God. Since we belong to him, we're saying that our lives are going to be in tune with his will. And so we're going to practice righteousness as opposed to unrighteousness. Does that mean then that once I become a child of God, once I become a Christian, I can never sin again? Is that what John is saying here? When he said, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. In verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Is John telling me that once I become a child of the living God, I can never sin again? That's not what he's saying. That's not what John is saying at all. John is saying that we have been converted to God, we are consecrated to God, and because of that, we are now out of the sinning business. It's not a way of life for us. It's not the kind of life that we're going to live. We were at one time in sin, and the devil was our father. And we... We were under his reign, but now we belong to God. And so when Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, in Romans chapter 6, 
He said, let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Don't let sin master you. Don't let it rule over you. Don't let it govern your life. That's what John's saying here. You're now out of the sinning business. In Romans chapter 6, he said, But God be thanked that whereas you were the servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered to you. All right, we've obeyed the gospel. And so he said, being free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. I think in this context, one of the key words is found in verse 7. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. In verse 10, he said, whoever does not practice what? Righteousness is not of God. We are practitioners of what? Of righteousness. So John is saying that once you become a child of God, your relationship to sin has changed. You're not going to live a life of of willful sin. You're not going to be the kind of person that just blatantly goes out and lives in sin because you've given that way of life up. All right, what about when mistakes occur in our life? John said... Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Does that mean that if I sin, I've never seen him nor known him? No, that's not what John is saying. As I said a moment ago, when we obey the gospel, we're out of the sinning business. We're not practicing unrighteousness. We are practicing righteousness. But there are provisions made for us if we do sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, John said, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. When I obey the gospel, I enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of God availing in my life. As long as I am walking in harmony with the teaching of of Jehovah God, as long as I am walking in harmony with the teaching of our Lord, then the blood of Christ is at work in my life. Well, what if I stumble and fall? In verse 9, John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, how do I know that John is saying, once I become a child of God, I'm out of the sinning business. How do I know that there are times when I may stumble and fall, when I may make mistakes? Well, just look at chapter 2. In chapter 2, John said, My little children, these things I write to you. If any man sins. He's talking about a Christian here. He's talking about those of us that are Members of the family of God. Those of us who have been born again. The divine ideal is that we sin not. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But, he said, if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now you want to talk about comfort and confidence 
As a child of God, I can have the confidence, the assurance to know that if I stumble and fall, the Lord will cleanse me of sin. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You and I, we are not perfect people. But we enjoy a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. We're trying to live above sin. We're trying to live up to the words that John has set forth in chapter 2 verse 1. Where we rise above sin. But he said if we do sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The idea there is one of an attorney who is pleading our case. And I can assure you that Jesus Christ has never lost a case. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, speaking of the covenant under which you and I now live, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You and I can have confidence in knowing that once we obey the gospel, we enjoy the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. If we stumble and fall, if we make mistakes, then we can go to God in prayer. We can ask for forgiveness and he will forgive us. That is confidence. So what is our relationship to sin as a Christian? Well, we're out of the sinning business. We're not going to live that kind of life. We're going to take the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, allow it to rule and reign in our lives. We're going to try to rise above sin. We're going to try to take this word, internalize it. As the psalmist said, your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm 119.11. Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of God is a defense against sin and unrighteousness. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We should be thankful that as Christians we can live confident and courageously in, in the sight of God. And we should be confident in knowing that if we do stumble and fall, there are provisions made for us. Now in closing, let me ask you this question. Are you practicing righteousness or unrighteousness? If you're practicing righteousness, then you're following the Savior. If you're practicing unrighteousness, then you're following Satan. That's what John said. What we want to do is be followers of the Lord. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the blood of Jesus is not at work in your life. But it can work in your life if you will obey his word. What would you need to do to become a New Testament Christian? Well, you have to be born again. That is, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John eight twenty four. You need to repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. For the washing away of your sins, Acts 22, 16. When you do that, the Lord then adds you to his body, Acts 2, 47. And it is in that body 
that we are said to be saved, Ephesians 5, verse 23, because Jesus is the Savior of the body. Now, if you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, maybe your life has not been what it should be. What would you need to do? Well, the Bible says you need to repent. James said, confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. We would be more than happy to pray with you and for you. And the beauty is that God will abundantly pardon. That you'll once again enjoy fellowship with God and Christ. You'll enjoy fellowship with people of like precious faith. Are you faithful to the Lord? If you're not faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, today we encourage you to come to him. While together we stand and sing.